We are going to talk about the wickedest man who ever lived. Who would you think that was? I mean, if I were to put some pressure on you right now, tell me who's the wickedest person that ever lived. You got one suggestion right there. Look at some others. Adolf Hitler. He was a pretty wicked guy, wasn't he? Adolf Hitler killed six million plus Jewish people. That's pretty wicked, isn't it? Can you imagine killing millions of people just because of their ethnicity? Nero. Nero was a bad dude. He killed his mother. I mean, can you imagine how wicked you'd have to be to kill your mom? Terrible. Joseph Stalin, they say he killed 20 million people. 20 million people. I don't know how many people live in the Houston area, but it's not 20 million. That's a bunch of people. They say Mao killed 35 million. You know, we talk about these people and how wicked they were, and and I think about that. It's really hard for me to understand, get my mind around that kind of wickedness. But I can understand a little bit more someone like Charles Manson. He was a crazy dude. Did some terrible stuff. He convinced people who followed him to go murder innocent people. They murdered a woman who was expecting a baby. Cut the baby out. Terrible, terrible stuff. And look at him, he looks crazy. Who'd follow somebody who looked like that? But they did. He was wicked. Osama bin Laden. We know he killed at least 3,000 people from the things that he did. He was a terrorist. Had people killed in a horrific way with the planes crashing into the Twin Towers. Dylan Klebold, he was a school shooter. And, you know, there's been a bunch of those last few years, right? We could put any of them up there. He just happened to be the name that I recognized. Or maybe Ted Bundy. You know who Ted Bundy was? He was a mass murderer. Now, he didn't look like that crazy, but well, maybe a little crazy, but he didn't look near like Charles Manson, does he? He was a nice-looking, friendly, charismatic kind of guy, evidently. And he would convince women to like, help him to his car. He acted like he was injured or something, and he would kidnap them and abuse them and then kill them. Terrible, terrible people. Now, you may have a a different suggestion of someone you think is the most wicked person, but I want to tell you someone who is definitely in the running for being one of the most wicked people who ever lived. He's a guy by the name of King Manasseh. Now, you may never have heard of this guy, but he was a bad, bad man. Let's look a little bit about his corruption. In 2 Kings chapter 18, you read about him. It says, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign and did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Now, we're going to start the story of Manasseh by talking about his dad. His dad was a good man. His dad was righteous. Now, his grandfather was very, very wicked. 
But his dad was a righteous guy. He did good. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And when he got old, God sent a prophet to him and said, when he got sick, he sent a prophet to him and he said, set your house in order because you're going to die. This is the sickness you're going to die from. Can you imagine getting that message from God? The Bible says he turned his face to the wall and he wept and he cried. And he said, God, I have served you faithfully. Will you please spare my life? And God did. God sent the prophet back and said, go back and tell him I'm going to give him 15 more years of life. So he got three more years of life. Or 15 more years of life. Three years later... He had a son, and that son was a little boy, and he named him Manasseh. And Manasseh is this guy who is in the running for being the most wicked man that ever lived. Manasseh became king when he was 12. Second Kings 21, Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. Any of y'all 12 years old? 12 years old, stand up for a second. Can you imagine this being king? Right here? You can sit down. That'd be a tough job at 12, wouldn't it, to become king? I mean, that would be very difficult for somebody to put you in that spot where you had to rule at age 12. You can kind of understand why God wouldn't be righteous, right? Well, except for the fact that his grandson Josiah, who was one of the most righteous kings that ever came along, began to rule when he was eight. This guy was wicked, though. Look at how wicked he was. He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord after the abominations of the heathen. He wrought much wickedness in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. He did the kind of things that the heathen does. And he did the kind of things that provoked God to anger. Now, do you get angry sometimes? Yeah. We all get angry. My children have learned as they were growing up, they learned the look of anger on dad's face because it can flash that fast. And they can, we can be talking, and I know it's there too, right? And all of a sudden, when I perceive they've been disrespectful or, and it'll just, and it's right there on my face, right? We all get angry. Do you think that God gets angry? If you've read much of the Old Testament, you know he does. He got angry enough, he called the, caused the ground to open up and swallow a bunch of people alive. That's how angry God got. Do you think Jesus got angry? Yeah, he did. He went into the temple one time, and they had set up this system in the temple where they were cheating people and taking advantage of them. And you know what Jesus did? He took some rope and made it into a cord, and he chased those people out of the temple with that cord, that whip, threw over their tables. He was angry. Now let me ask you, knowing that God gets angry, do you think God has ever been angry at you? Think God's been mad at you? Have you ever thought about that before? I think... God has been angry at me. 
In fact, I'm pretty confident of that. This guy did things to provoke the Lord to anger. What kind of things did he do? Well, let's look and see. He built up again the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. And he reared up altars for Baal, and he made a grove, as did Ahab, king of Israel, and worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. He set up false worship. He caused people to worship false gods. Okay? Can you imagine what your reaction would be if you got here tomorrow night and I got up to preach and I pulled a Buddha statue out and set it right here and started bowing to that and told everybody, we're going to bow to Buddha. Can you imagine what your reaction would be? That'd shake some people up, wouldn't it, Ty? (laughs) Yeah. They'd probably end the service in a hurry. Or it might go on real long. I don't know which. He set up false worship. He caused people to worship the hosts of heaven. You know what that means? They worship the moon and the sun. I talked to a guy one time in the parking lot of a a Whole Foods market, and he had on a little beanie cap and a little toga, and he had his crystals, and he was going, oh, oh, you know. And I said, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm... uh, I am worshiping and drawing people to me and stuff. And as we talked, I said, well, what's going on here? And he said, crystals had these magic powers. And uh, he said uh, that he could heal people with the crystals and all. And, and I said, interesting. I said, well, what, what do you believe about Jesus? He said, well, I worship the sun. I said, I do too. <laughs> he said, no, I mean the sun that goes across the sky. I don't know what direction's what in here, but the sun goes across the sky, okay? He worshipped that ball of fire in the sky. This guy caused Israel to worship false gods. That's bad. It's bad when you influence other people to disobey God, isn't it? That's a terrible thing you don't want to do says he profaned the temple. He built altars in the house of the Lord. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. He even set a carved image of Asterah, which he had made in the house of the Lord. He didn't just do this at home. He didn't just secretly worship these idols. You know, there's, Ezekiel had a vision of the leaders of Israel secretly worshiping false gods. This guy didn't do it secretly. He set it up in the church. Now, maybe it's not me, and maybe Sunday after this meeting's over, you come in and there's a giant statue of Buddha up here on the stage. What would that do for you? That'd upset you. He did that in the temple of God. No wonder God was angry at this guy. Look at this. He made His Son pass through the fire. He did much wickedness in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Do you know what it means to cause your son to pass through the fire? Their idols were images, and they would have arms that stuck out like this in front of them. And they would build a fire at the feet of this image, and they would lay their babies on those arms and the babies would burn. 
Is that wicked? That's horrible. That's horrific. He sacrificed his children. I want to tell you, that. can you imagine how angry you would be if you saw that happening? Would you be livid? It provoked God to great wrath, great anger. These are the kinds of things the heathen that God drove out of Israel did. And He had the people of God doing this. You know, in America, that doesn't happen that that I've ever heard of. But in America, people slaughter their children, their unborn children. We call it abortion. And I'm going to tell you what, I think God's as angry about that as He was about this. It's terrible to shed innocent blood. Most of us, though, when we sacrifice our kids, we don't sacrifice our kids that way. We sacrifice our kids to envy and greed. We sacrifice our kids to being so busy pursuing the things we want in life that they're just pushed to the periphery of our lives. We don't have time for them. And they don't get raised and they don't get taught. They don't learn the nurture and admonition of the Lord because i got other things i got to do. We sacrifice our children to the gods of education and sports and entertainment. Because you know what? Yeah, I want my kids to be good, but you know, she could get on the special softball team that gets to travel. I mean, really? We don't have time to go to church right now. I mean, she's trying to make the team. And we teach our children to value things other than serving God. We teach them to value things of this world. And then when they get older and they're not interested in the things of God, we go, what happened? Well, we know what happened. We sacrificed our children. Now, not in the same way this guy did, but I'll tell you, I don't believe God's any more pleased with us sacrificing our children to sports than he was with them sacrificing their children. He corrupted his living children. Amon, who is his son, walked in the ways that his father had walked and served the idols his father had served and worshipped them. You know, one of the things that happens in life is that your children inherit your weaknesses. That's just the way life works. Kids are going to have your flaws and your problems. I can remember one time a few years ago when the kids were young, we were trying to get out of the house, and we jokingly talk about going everywhere on McCorkle time, meaning we're late. Okay, that's what we mean. And I was perpetually frustrated that my children were late, and we were trying to go somewhere, and Jerrica was between me and the door, and Jesse was between her and the door, and they were piddling around doing something, and I said, Jerrica, get to the car. And Jerrica said, Jesse, go! And I stopped her, and I said, Jerrica, Rachel, don't you talk to your sister that way. And my wife was standing right back over here. And she said, you know where they learned that, don't you? (laughs) 
Yes, to my shame, I know exactly where they learned that because that's the way I talked to them when I was frustrated with them. Your kids will have the same flaws that you have. This guy taught his children to do what was wrong. And his son, the ones that lived, the ones that he didn't sacrifice, they did wrong because they learned that from their daddy. Now, the truth is sometimes a good kid will come out of a real bad situation. And sometimes a bad kid will come out of a real good situation. Sometimes that happens. But usually, if we do what Deuteronomy 6 says, and we teach diligently our children the ways of the Lord and His words, and we keep them always before them, we hang them on the walls of our house and we speak to them about them when they go to bed and when they rise up. We raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. If we'll do that normally, we'll raise children that love the Lord. But that's not what this guy did. He didn't care about that. He was king. He didn't have to do that. Nobody could make him do that. He also practiced witchcraft and black magic. The Bible says he practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft, and consulted spiritists and mediums. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him. Keep hearing that over and over, don't we? He did evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him, to make him angry. He did witchcraft and spiritism and mediums. You know what that is? Now, y'all know what Harry Potter is, right? Harry Potter's not real. That's pretend, okay? This guy tried to do that stuff for real. This guy, this guy tried to be involved in witchcraft for real. This guy went talk talked to spiritism. Have you seen those people on TV? It's been years since I've seen it, but they have like the New York medium or spiritist or whoever, and they'll, they'll walk around and they'll talk to your dead relatives for you and say, oh, you know, Grandpa says he loves you and he forgives you and the dog's happy too and, and all of that. You're, okay? God says that stuff's not entertainment. It's an abomination to Him. It's an abomination to try to communicate with and get information from the dead. That's what God says. And this guy did that. Don't ever be involved in that. It's not a game. If you go to Las Vegas or New Orleans, don't go to one of those people who's going to read the crystal ball or read your palm and tell you your future. Stay away from that stuff. And I'll tell you another part of this, the word witchcraft usually involved using drugs. They used drugs to go into their trances, like the Native Americans who smoked some peyote weed before they talked to the Great Spirit. God says, no, you don't be involved in that kind of stuff. He despises it. That's what this guy did. He caused the moral decay of an entire nation. Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. He caused them to be worse than the people God drove out of Canaan to give them the land. Now, I don't have that kind of power. I might corrupt my family. I might corrupt some friends of mine. I might even corrupt a church where I was at. But I'm not going to corrupt an entire nation because I don't have that power. But this guy did and he used it to cause the corruption of an entire nation. He undid his father's good deeds, for he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed. Many of you know my father. 
Most of you here probably know my father. He has been a preacher of the gospel for over 60 years. And he's done a lot of good. He's taught the gospel to a lot of people. I run into people all the time that tell me how my dad converted them, baptized them into Christ. He has been involved in helping heal church splits and stuff like that. You know, I could run around and undo all the good my dad did. Or at least I could try. That's what this guy did. He went around and he undid all the good that his father had done. Can you imagine? To try to undo good that people before you did? You've got to be pretty wicked to do that. The sins of Manasseh, because of the innocent blood that he had shed, for he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. He killed lots and lots of innocent people. People who had done nothing evil, nothing wrong, but he killed them. And he refused to listen to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. Now, isn't that quite a description of this guy? I mean, he was a bad fellow, wasn't he? He did some terrible stuff. And I hope that we don't have anyone here tonight who is as wicked as Manasseh was. Okay, But I want you to know this isn't all the story of Manasseh. There's a little bit more to this story. It goes like this. The Lord came upon Judah to remove them from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh according to all that he had done, and also because of the innocent blood that he had shed. For he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. I asked you a few minutes ago if you thought God had ever been angry at you. I think the truth is He probably has, right? Have you ever been in a spot where God looked at you and He said, that's it, I'm not going to forgive that? Now that's a pretty bad spot to be in. God was so fed up with the wickedness and the ungodliness of this man Manasseh, it says the Lord would not pardon. It means God's not going to forgive him for that. He says, I've had it. It's over. My time of patience with you is up. You know, all parents at some point get to that point with their children, right? And they go, okay, I've had enough. It's over. No more of this is going to go on. That's what God did with this people. And He brought an enemy on the entire nation because of the sins of this man. And he was taken captive by the king of Assyria. Therefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the armies of the king of Assyria who took Manasseh with hooks and bound him with bronze fetters, and carried him off to Babylon. And now, when he was in affliction, they took hooks and caught this guy. And they drug him off. They chained him up in bronze chains and drug him off to a place called Babylon and threw him in prison. You know, prison would be bad anyway, right? None of us want to go to prison. But can you imagine going to prison in a foreign land? We talk about that every time we go to Nigeria, right? Sure don't want to go to jail while we're over here. That would be a bad place to be in jail, right? I want you to know Assyria was a bad place to be in jail. It was a bad place 
to serve. That's what God did because he was fed up with the wickedness and the evil of this man Manasseh. The entire nation fell. And they took this king and they threw him in prison. And read this. Therefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of Assyria who took Manasseh with hooks and bound him with bronze fetters, carried him off to Babylon when he was in affliction. And look at the picture there. You know what he did while he was there in affliction? He suffered. He suffered in this prison for the wickedness and the things that he had done. And you know, I think about this, and I think about him, and I go, well, you know what? He deserves it, right? Doesn't he deserve to be punished? And this guy killed some of his own kids. He deserves to sit in prison, doesn't he? He deserves the punishment of God, right? I mean, this is a fitting end to a wicked person. Tonight at uh, supper, we had uh, a prayer that was led. And one of the young men, I won't call anybody out, but one of the young men was saying this prayer, and he prayed that God would get the bad guys. (laughs) I misunderstood. I think he meant get the bad guys and make them good guys, but... I thought, yeah, I said amen to that prayer. Get the bad guys, right? Do you remember when they got Osama bin Laden? Were you happy about that? Well, I have to confess, I went, yeah, they got the bad guy. He's going to suffer, he's going to punish, be punished for his evil. But you know what? This is not the end of the story of Manasseh. There's even more. Look at this. Now, when he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed to him. You've got to be kidding me. You mean this wicked, evil man has the audacity to pray to God? He has no right. Remember what he did. He's got no right to pray to God. Good grief. Who does he think he is that he can pray to God? Don't you think God was disgusted with that prayer? I can't believe this guy. He would pray to me. You know what? He implored the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly. You know who he thought he was? exactly who he was. He thought, oh, wretched man that I am. He humbled himself before the Lord. You know, when I was a young man growing up, when I was the age of these young men, some of you will remember this. Every time we had prayer in the church, all the men got up out of their seats and got down like this and bowed their head. Y'all remember that? Some of y'all remember that? been a long time since you've seen it, isn't it? Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to not get on your knees in a public prayer. But I am saying this. The reason people do that is to say to God, you are great and I am not. You are God. And I just have to tell you, it bothers me when people just during prayer sit and look around the room and chew their gum and... and you know, We need to humble ourselves before God. 
When's the last time you got on your knees when you prayed to God? You ever do that? Beside your bed? Get on your knees and humble yourself before the mighty God. Do you know who He is? He is God. He is God. And it doesn't matter what happens in your life. He is God. It doesn't matter if America stands or falls. He is God. It doesn't matter if my health is good or my health is bad. He is God. It doesn't matter if there's a disease that wipes through America and kills us all. He is God. It doesn't matter if my son lives or dies. He is God. And that doesn't change. I don't get to like or dislike what He does. I don't get to bring Him into my courtroom and judge His actions. I humble myself before Him because He is God. And it doesn't matter how great or how small I am. It doesn't matter what I've accomplished or how many failures I have in my life. None of that matters because He is God. And this man, Manasseh, learned that He was God. I'll tell you something. Sometimes it takes tragedies in people's lives before they learn that He's God. Sometimes you have to be broken before you're willing to humble yourself. You know, not everyone is even willing to do that, but the Bible tells us someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. This guy was ready to do that now. But you know, I've still got a little problem with this because you've heard of jailhouse religion, right? Everybody gets religion in jail. They get religion in jail because when you go in front of the parole board, you can say, I got saved! And I love Jesus, and I'm going to be good now. And you get out of jail, and that's about how long jailhouse religion lasts, right? Look at this guy. When he prayed, God received his entreaty, heard his supplication, and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. God listened to what Manasseh said when he prayed and begged for forgiveness. When he humbled himself, God listened to that. And then that man knew. That man knew that he was God. But his religion, his repentance, his change of heart was not just a temporary jailhouse religion. Read with me. He took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord and all the altars that He had built in the mount of the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, and He cast them out of the city. He also repaired the altar of the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings on it and commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. It wasn't just empty words. He didn't just trot up to the front during an invitation song and then go back to the life he was living before. He changed. He was different. 
He didn't just give lip service to changing and being different. He did change. He was real in his repentance. He humbled himself before God and he did it different. You know, the word repent means you're going one direction and you turn around and you go the other direction. You know, sometimes that happens. We sometimes get to thinking, well, you know, people don't change. Some people do. God changes some people. Some people repent and they really begin to walk with God. I've known some of them. I bet you have too. That their life's headed one direction and they turn around and they go the other direction. They change. That's what this man did. So, let's draw a couple of messages out of this for us. Number one, you need to know that the wages of sin are sure. Nobody, but nobody, but nobody is going to get away with sin. Okay? Most all of you know, and I've apologized already for using our situation with Jacob as an illustration, but I'm going to do it again. The woman that ran into Jacob was partying at Windstar. She was drunk three times the legal limit plus marijuana in her system. And she was driving south on the northbound side of I-35. Her arraignment was Monday. She waived arraignment, which means that for now she pleads not guilty. Not guilty? Are you kidding me? How could anyone plead not guilty after what she did? And I have people ask me and talk to me honestly about it and say, what, what do you think? She was arrested at the scene for intoxication, assault, felony. Carries a huge penalty of many, many years in prison. So far, she's not in jail. Didn't even bother to come to the arraignment. She just waived the arraignment. And I think, is that fair? Is that right? Is it okay? Someone told me, one attorney told me he expects that they'll plea bargain down to a DWI and she won't even have to serve any time in jail. I don't know if that's true or not. I have no idea what's going to happen. But you know what I do know? Here's what I know. If she never spends one minute in jail, number one, my prayer is that she repents and comes to God and is forgiven for what she did. But if she doesn't, let's just say she bows up and she's rebellious and defiant and says, I don't care what I did to him, and never has to spend a minute in jail. The truth is, she won't get away with it. Nobody gets away with sin. And I don't have to worry about justice. It's not my business to see to it that she suffers a, pun a penalty or a punishment for her sin. It's not my job. I don't have to worry about that because God will balance the scales. Most of us pay some penalty here on earth in this life. But if we don't, we're for sure going to face that in eternity. God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. What she did isn't a secret. Everyone who knows about this situation knows what she did. It's no secret, but you know what? For you and I, 
Most of our sins aren't that public, are they? Most of your sins are secret. Most of your sins you don't want to put out in front of everyone. God's going to bring every secret work into judgment. Everything that she did, everything that I did, everything that Jacob has done, and everything that you have done, God will bring into judgment. And the wages of sin are sure. No one is going to get away with sin. You may fool your parents. You may fool the elders. You may fool your spouse. You may even fool yourself. But you're not going to fool God. Lesson number two. God receives repentance. We serve a God who loves to forgive. We serve a God who loves you so much, He sent His Son to die for you. That's how much He loves you. And He receives repentance. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God wants you to be right with Him. God wants you to come to repentance. That's the only reason you're still alive, is God wants you to be saved. He wants you to humbly turn to Him and submit your life to Him. I talked to a man one time who told me, he said, yeah, you know, I probably ought to be baptized, but my pride's just never going to let me do that. Really? Isn't that a shame? God receives repentance. You look in the Bible and you look at stories like King David, a man after God's own heart, right? Do you all know what David did? He had an affair with a woman and then killed her husband to hide the affair and ended up taking her. I mean, that's a terrible thing, isn't it? Why would God put that in the Bible? Or Abraham, the father of the faithful, right? Abraham's the guy everyone says is righteous. Did he ever sin? You remember the story when they were headed down to Egypt and they stopped the last little coffee shop this side of Egypt and he says to Sarah, you're a fine-looking woman, Sarah. And I know those Egyptians and one of them's going to want you. That's paraphrased, by the way. But And I want you to know right now... They can have you. (laughs) You tell them I'm your brother. I'm not fighting. Why would that story be in the Bible? Why not just tell us what a righteous, godly man Abraham was? What a righteous, godly man David was? You know why I believe those are in the Bible? Because those are the kind of people God makes His best friends out of when they repent in humility and turn to God. Have you messed up in your life bad? Repent in humility and turn to God. He receives people who've messed up. He forgives people who've messed up. If and only if they in humility repent and turn to Him. The last lesson is this. There is hope in the mercy and forgiveness of God. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what pig pen you've been in. It doesn't matter what sin you've committed. God has given you and I hope in His mercy and forgiveness. Look at this. 
lamentation. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. It's not true with people, is it? We get fed up and we get done, we get tired and we get, I'm, I'm done with you. That's not the way it is with God. Every single morning, His mercy is new. No matter what you did yesterday, no matter what you did earlier today, no matter what you did 10 years ago, no matter what you did 30 years ago, no matter what it was, His mercy is new every day and there is hope and there is salvation in His mercy and His forgiveness. Do you need that forgiveness? Is there anything in your life that you've been holding back from God? That you've been saying, you know, I know this is wrong and I know eventually I've got to face up to it and I've got to deal with it. Why would you wait? The mercy of God is here. It's waiting for you. It's reaching for you. It's inviting you in. And you can have hope. You can lay your bed Lay, lay on your bed, lay your head on your pillow tonight, and you can sleep tonight knowing that you know that you know that you are right with God. Is there anything you need to do to be right with God that you've put off? Maybe someone here needs to be baptized into Christ. Maybe someone here needs to ask for the prayers and help and counsel of the leaders of the church here. I don't know what your situation is. Maybe you just need to get on your knees beside your bed tonight and beg for God's mercy and straighten your life out and repent and change. Whatever it is you need to do, if we can assist you, we have an invitation song. Just come to the front while we stand and sing.